Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's good, Internet? It's Friday, September 25th, and you're listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 349. Is that right? So close. So close. What, what was it? 348. That's not true, because you did the episode on Monday. That was 347. Why did my document already say 347? Did someone come into my document and make it 347? Uh, someone might have. I probably did when I yeah. prepared oh, to that's, that's, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. I see. Did I you use your I, editing permissions, you son of a bitch. Did you fucking come in here? And, oh, I see. Then it says here we were probably going to skip this episode because we just finished up Save Point 2020, our charity marathon for national bailout. Thanks. Okay. Austin, that was all improvised. I just said that <laughs> off the cuff. I see. As part of my natural delivery. I see. Uh, I see. Hmm. Um, well, here we are this Friday, and I think you can probably tell. Uh, I'm still fucking fucking beat <laughs> from that stream. Uh, I did an all night overnight stream day, and I'm still paying for that. Also, I fucked up my shoulder. Uh, don't get old, kids. <laughs> um, I mean, do do you you have you? The world would be better if it meant that we all got to get grow old and achy and you know, etc. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we're here. And what I'm really setting up is we are not going to be here on Monday. We're, we're taking a day off, the day off that Rob did not get on Monday, that Cotto did not get on Monday, that Patrick <laughs> and Keita did not get on Monday, I'm taking it on Monday, um, this coming Monday. So don't, don't look forward to an episode this coming Monday. Instead, look forward to this episode right now. We're doing this one. We're doing this one. We didn't skip this one. So that's good. I have not been sleeping great. Mm. I feel like... The doing the all-nighter shifted my schedule such yeah. that I'm still struggling to just get back to a normal, which is part of why I insisted on doing this episode this week and not next week, was this would force me to be awake and productive before noon. Okay. Uh, so that's what this is. We're being productive now. <laughs> I'm glad we can help Austin, you. Austin, our value is not contingent on us being productive. Wow. <laughs> that's so I will nice say, to hear. One of the things that, uh, speaking of the the theme of like aging, is that I feel like I used to be able to shake off all nighters just fine. Where it's oh, like, yeah. all right, I'll just go to bed early next night, mm-hmm. and I'll be I'll be good to go. Mm-hmm. And now, like resetting everything to feeling like normal is like a multi stage campaign. Yeah, of, absolutely. Like, all right. All right, it's six o'clock. I should probably have the chamomile now. Um, I'm gonna turn off every screen in this house. It's too stimulating. Too stimulating. Well, so this Cam- is this is what I fucked up. What yeah. was the day after my all nighter was the finale, which meant yeah. we finished at like ten thirty ish. By the time we did a light a light debrief, eleven. By the time we did like a light debrief and stuff, and finished like saying thanks to the mods privately and blah blah blah, like. That was hyper stimulating. That was not chamomile tea at 6 p.m., <laughs> which meant I was then awake until like 3 or 4 that night. And so 
and then I, you know, I slept until one or something, which is way too late, even for me. Um, and so now I'm, I'm just in, I'm in, I'm in free fall. I'm just re trying to grab something to just pull myself a right. Um, uh, but the other thing is I haven't hit the point yet, Rob, where you were saying you can't do them without that campaign of trying to get it back on track. I can still, I haven't hit the point where I can't do it at all. I, and I almost, I almost wish I had fallen over the, the side of the cliff such that, okay, now I can't even do the all-nighter. It's not even a thing I can joke about doing. It, there's no way I could do it. We got to the end of that XCOM stream, which is the end of my all-nighter, and I was like, I can do another six hours. I could definitely – I could just do – I could just stay up all day. I could just do that, and I believe I could have done that. It would have been very <laughs> unhealthy, but I had it in me. I hadn't even opened my Red Bull yet. Like, I didn't even wow. dip into my – I had one iced coffee at, like, 10 p.m. or something, I, I, or, or maybe it later than that. It was when we first started, which was, like, midnight. And I was like – so I had caffeine reserves on deck. I was ready to go. Um, uh, but I, I, I haven't, I, I need to just, maybe I should just make that claim. Maybe I should just start lying to myself yeah. and saying, I can't do the all nighter anymore. Recognizing that the, the cleanup of the catastrophe is part of the catastrophe itself, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, it's, you know, I think it, it kind of depends on if you got those good support systems to help like right. get you back on track. Right. I think for me, like it was kind of it was easier adjusting after the uh, live stream because one, I didn't do a an all nighter in that way. Right. Like my thing was getting up early enough to be part of the XCOM stream. Uh, right. Uh, but it was easier for me to sort of snap back uh, just because. Yeah, like. The dog will not let me sleep past 6 a.m. Right. Uh, and so it kind of helps that I've got this little asshole creature <laughs> um, that will be like, I don't care how you feel. You need to take me out or I'm going to do something very unpleasant. Uh, right. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually recovering pretty nicely. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly... Uh, yeah, I feel great, to be honest. Good. I'm glad. Um, it it's taken a an intensive uh you know an, an intensive regimen of various stimulants and sedatives and like good sleep hygiene and boring mysteries that i read before bed uh oh. and uh, it's got me right as rain how are you doing Kato? on the two extremes of austin to rob <laughs> the goofus and the gallant where are you <laughs> um i'm all right I'm all right because I didn't. I ended up not staying up too late. I like forced myself to get off after I handed off the like midnight uh, stream every night. Uh, so it was more just more that I was basically behind the scenes every other waking hour of my life that weekend. Uh, so it's 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 like being sleep deprived, but not really. Mm. Um, just like wired up because I was awake and like on guard in a way we're like you know doing production and like watching something you think it's just like you're watching the stream it's like no i'm watching for signs that the stream is about to maybe go down or that something weird is happening on my network it's like being ultra alert for a very long time so i'm like tired and i'm very excited to take some time off to kind of just reset because it was like we went from a regular work week straight into save point through the weekend right, back to a regular right. work week. Yeah, um, this is the difference from like an E three week where that lead up week is stressful because you're like figuring out details, 
But in general, there's not a lot of news. Things can be a little bit more chill. And then you come back and you're just like, you're wiped, wiped, wiped. Yeah. And it goes into a weekend. So you're like, right, I'm going to spend the next three days just floating. Uh-huh. And <laughs> that is not this week. This week, y'all kicked it off by talking about the Bethesda <laughs> stuff. And then, yeah. Fucking yeah. Microsoft was like having none of that shit. No. <laughs> Save who? No. Don't care. Don't give a fuck. No, and then fuck. today, actually, we got more news. Um, not not Microsoft scale uh, at all, but Mike Morhaime has started a new publishing company. Right. Uh, with a bunch of other ex, uh, like, Blizzard senior staff. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's a publishing company with, with two studios uh, li- living under it, uh, Dreamhaven, and the two studios are Secret Door and Moonshot. Uh, Dustin Browder is part of it. Um, Chris Sagatti, a lot of the, lot of the dudes who made up OG Blizzard and like, I'm kind of, I don't think I share the same sentiment about Blizzard that a lot of people do. Um, I don't know what that means at this point because I, yeah, maybe that's it too. Yeah, go ahead. You tell what, which, which sentiment do you not share? I think for a long time, there was this idea that, uh, you know, Blizzard were kind of the master craftsmen of PC games in some ways. They weren't necessarily, like, uh, always on the cutting edge, but, like, the most refined, right? Like, the most polished, uh, playable, addicting experiences. Whatever genre Blizzard was stepping into, they were about to, like, definitively school everyone else on, like, how you make it uh, just utterly captivating and charming. And I never, like... One, I don't think a lot of the games resonated with me quite that deeply. Um, like I, you know, I I will talk until I'm blue in the face about how good the Warcraft Three campaign is, uh, uh-huh. right? But at the same time, like I liked Diablo, but it didn't like define, uh, you know, my late '90s the way it did for for some folks. Uh, I also found that sometimes Blizzard design approaches could be a little bit like conservative or. Um, you know, just because something's very playable or addicting isn't doesn't always mean that that feels like time well spent when you step back from it. Uh, and that's kind of where I came out with Blizzard. I think World of Warcraft was kind of where I started to part ways. When, when Blizzard started becoming a World of Warcraft company, I was increasingly less interested in what they were doing. And it wasn't hard to see, like, the sort of, um, the way, that's, way that Blizzard would sort of play to certain stories um you know our friend uh apple cider witch wrote a great piece for us about the repeated leitmotif of good girls gone bad uh-huh. in blizzard games and like this started to become parent uncomfortable you know <laughs> through the early 2000s where it's like oh she's um so she's turning evil too now huh okay um <laughs> wow that lady's just so angry she was good but like she got so angry, and now yeah. she's got to destroy everyone? Wow. She, like, women, just kind of this genocidal impulse in them. Don't know what that's about. <laughs> uh, and so I, I, I do think that, like, if you look back at the oeuvre of Blizzard, I think you can find a lot of cause for criticism for, like, the text of their works. Um but at the same time, I do sympathize with people, and I, I'm to a degree, I am one of these people who do feel that, like, over time, it does feel like Blizzard became less and less interesting post Activision acquisition and their room to try new things uh, or continue serving, like, 
smaller parts of their portfolio Mm -hmm. was really diminished, right? Like I think for a lot of people, the debacle of Warcraft 3 Reforged was a real clear signal of how Blizzard's priorities had shifted, uh, where – you know, this was a remaster where they'd come out saying they were going to set a really high bar and really give this classic RTS game some some love, and then it was clear, like palpable, when you when that game came out, that the new regime had basically like cut off resources to that project and kind of just dumped a half finished thing uh, out on the market. And I think that really kind of uh, encapsulated Blizzard's relationship with a lot of their core franchises that were no longer necessarily things that were of interest to Activision as much. RTSs, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And now it was increasingly about how can we, you know, how can we continue, uh, you know, ca- uh, capitalizing on what momentum Overwatch still has? Uh-huh. Uh, you know, what's our what's our next big, uh, like, microtransaction-driven game, right? That kind of started to feel like the direction things were headed and a lot of the experiences that maybe you loved from Blizzard in years past would be much harder to come by. I'm I'm curious for so I mean what I'll say is let me just let me just preface this by saying I'm whatever you've just set up is in terms of your sort of ambivalence around Blizzard, I'm even probably more um ambivalent. Like they, they were always just another developer in the pile for me. I never yeah. had that transcendent moment with them. I liked Warcraft 3 quite a bit. I played StarCraft and enjoyed it. I played the Diablo games. I played Diablo 1 and 2 while I was coming up and like, yeah, okay, you know, I played the Lost Vikings. I liked the Lost Vikings. That that game's all right. Um but I was never – they were never – I would have never listed them in my favorite list of, of publishers. Um, and then and then less so probably in the last – you know, in the era of, of, of Blizzard Ascendant, which is to say post-World of Warcraft, right? Like, WoW never was the MMO for me. Um, I was always throwing myself at stranger things, um, things that are like less – probably less polished, less good. I feel um, like you would be a Dark Age of Camelot. Person. Right. It's like Dark Age of Camelot and Shadowbane. Okay, and well, I, I, <laughs> I was a taster. I was an MMO yeah. taster. I, I was tasting some Asheron's Call. I was tasting some yeah. EverQuest. I, I mean, I, I threw myself into EverQuest a lot when EverQuest dropped. Um, but but uh, but after that, like I was very much a bouncing from MMO to MMO. Guild War, you know, I, I, spent, I spent my time in a lot of places, but WoW was never that – thing that kept me coming back to it. And so when it came time for the last decade of of Blizzard that, you know, the StarCraft 2 through Diablo 3 through whatever Overwatch Hearthstone. Hearthstone is probably the one game that that I still have fond memories of from when I played it that felt like an intervention. I mean, Overwatch, I think, is a- absolutely also an intervention in the first-person shooter. I think it'd be unfair to say it wasn't. Um, but but Hearthstone felt like, ah, okay, we're going to get people into card games, whereas Overwatch felt like a response to uh, to the, the kind of uh, constant presence of the first-person shooter and the multiplayer first-person shooter, as established by huge franchises like Call of Duty and Team Fortress 2 at that point uh, in the PC space. Um, uh, Hearthstone felt like, okay, we know cool things are happening in the CCG space, the physical CCG space, but nothing's hit yet in the video game space for card games. Um, and that's a game that also felt like it had some of the most interesting young design talent on it, tackling things like, well, what makes a physical game different than a, than a digital game? How can we use the digital space to do interesting things? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and, 
what what I'm curious about now, looking at the this new publisher and these two new studios, um, what what I'm I, I know there are some hearts on people on it, but but more broadly, the thought I keep coming back to is like maybe the part of the thing that makes us attracted to people is this is a lot of old Blizzard talent. What makes me go like okay, cool, is that it's a lot of old Blizzard talent, and I've seen what old Blizzard talent does, and it's not necessarily for me or it's fine. Like, okay, yeah, cool. Maybe they'll put out a game that I kind of like, but that doesn't, that doesn't rock the waves for me the way, you know, if there was something else attached to this, if there was some sort of like, and we're teaming up with these new developers who you actually really, really like, or, (laughs) or there was some sort of like, maybe if I had a better understanding of what the situation was at Blizzard now and what was happening behind closed doors to, Here's what I will say. Why should I believe that this set of people unmoored from Activision, which I'm sure is a negative influence, will still end up actually making something I care about versus just continuing to pursue designs that feel kind of old school? I think a lot about Outer Worlds. Outer Worlds is the thing I keep coming back to. Outer Worlds was the like, listen, the people who invented Fallout are going to make a game that is not you know caught up in the the kind of um, budget uh, problems that New Vegas had the sort of weird uh, uh, you know oversight stuff that demanded that they do X Y Z that had the time to be finished and as polished as possible and then Outer Worlds came out and I mostly felt it felt out of date and out of touch and like it was wasn't doing anything new like I think there was some fun stuff there throughout I had an all right time throughout it but I kept feeling like this tastes old you know mm. this is an old recipe. And so when I look at the list of talent on the Dreamhaven board and I look up like, oh, okay, this person worked on this and this and this, it's a lot of old talent. And I'm glad that seniority exists in, the, in, in you know, the world of video games because it's one of the major problems. I'm glad that there are a lot of senior people here. But that, uh, to me, just makes me wonder, okay, am I going to be playing a game that feels like Diablo 2? And maybe if you're listening, you're like, I fucking hope so. I haven't gotten to play a game that feels like Diablo 2 <laughs> in a long time. And if so, like, Godspeed. You know, um, Right. Uh, <laughs> sure. No, but I, I think I, I also think to a degree, sometimes I get a feeling that they're almost like grad school dynamics in game development as well, mm. where at a certain point you've just been senior for so long that you are not you've moved into sort of the detached PI role uh, <laughs> where like your job is more involved with funding than it is being down in the trenches. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. But like often it means that the people who are like hands on design, like building new experiences do need to be closer to that, you know, uh-huh. you know, that development line uh, than a lot of really senior people. And so I, uh, I think a lot about a, there was this, uh, comic series called phd comics and there was a uh there there was one that really sticks out in my mind it's a the the old pi comes into the lab and he's like i'm gonna show you kids how it's done uh i haven't been happy with you know the the output lately and uh, i'm just you know i'm just here to help and, and clear some roadmaps and he looks around the lab and he looks at something he's like he looks at a piece of equipment and he's like what the hell is that and somebody's like that's an oscilloscope and then the rest of the panel is just like a dead silence uh, as the guy realized he no longer knows what an oscilloscope looks like. Mm-hmm. And I think this uh, there's a similar thing with like development tools, right? And, uh, you know, the craft. And so I, I do kind of wonder when I when I see this group of people, uh, you know, I'm, I've certainly I was certainly my heart was broken by the uh, what we saw happen with like other side games. Right. Where, like, 
you know, okay, we got a bunch of, you know, old veterans of immersive Sims and there's, you know, ties to the looking glass lineage and here they are, they're back baby. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a disaster. And I don't know if that's because the skills had atrophied, they weren't like up to speed on new tools or maybe they just didn't have funding. I don't know, but it wasn't as easy as we'll just get some of the old band members mm-hmm. together and it'll be like the, you know, traveling Wilburys were due. That's not what happened. Uh, and that is, that is trickier. That is, that is a trickier proposition than just slapping some big names together um so i'm but like it makes me wonder is there is there an example of this happening where people have come out really happy with what has been made um i'm and i'm struggling to to figure out what that might be you know but I, i think i think if you say um yeah sure like Outer Worlds was kind of underwhelming, but I think overall people have been kind of happy with like how Obsidian has how maintained. Obsidian's been. Yeah, yeah, like like overall, I think there's a lot of people who will stand Path of Exile. That's Obsidian, right? Yeah, uh, Path of yeah. no, 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 no. Uh, you're, uh, thinking say, of, uh, you're thinking of you're thinking of. Wow, why am I blinking on their their there's other Obsidian? There's In Exile, and there's uh, I have no idea who makes Path of Exile. Uh, not Path that of Exile. is. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You're, you, path of yes, yeah, 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 yes. Pillars or pillars of eternity. Pillars of eternity. Yes, pillars of eternity. Pillars no, of that's, eternity. That's obsidian. That's obsidian. that's obsidian. Yeah, you said path of exile before. Oh well, that's just because my brain is scattered. Yes, Sorry, <laughs> that's fine. Path that's of exile fine. is somebody else. It's yes. cool though. If you it's like, it's cool the, though. If, if you, you like, like Diablo, Diablo 2. two, there you go. <laughs> like, I wish Diablo uh, two never ended. Path of exile. Path of exile. Uh, you, will, uh, you will exile your life to right. grinding gear forever. Right. Um, in exile, meanwhile, has been putting out like Wasteland three and the and Torment Tides of Numenera, and and so they've also been in that that like you know get the band back together vibe. Um, um, but, but but yeah, like, I don't I, know. You think I think there, there's a subtext of the Dreamhaven announcement that is like, hey, we basically weren't allowed to do things at totally. Activision Blizzard, totally, which I do time. believe, which oh, I yeah. do believe. Yeah, I mean, like I think Activision, like. Activision has a pretty like ruthless mindset of like, mm-hmm. is this going to be worth? Is the juice worth the squeeze? Right? Mm-hmm. If you know, is this idea probably go- going to be this uh, order of magnitude of a success? If no, then we don't finance it and, because it's simply not worth investing in. Well, and a success meaning a commercial success doesn't matter if right. it gets good reviews or it's like super innovative or anything. To them, that success they're looking for is specifically like as much profit as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, like, so, Kado, I think you have a very unique perspective on this, given your destiny love <laughs> has been seeing a studio fight against that and then come out of it the other side and now poised to release what seems like it'll be a pretty big uh, expansion to Destiny 2 in Absolutely. soon. When is that? When that when's that That's drop? November 10th. And like okay. the changes that they're making are things that uh they've been on record saying that Activision didn't want them to do things mm-hmm. like uh putting more RPG in the game, right? Like putting mm-hmm. more like oh, you can fiddle with these stats in a way that is recognizable to anyone who's played uh Diablo before like things or any other RPG right like they're like they want to add more RPG into the into the game and they were saying that a lot of times they've they've hinted at 
not being able to do things like that in the past. Like you could mm-hmm. see the trajectory of Destiny One and the kind of systems they added and how many of those systems were completely scrapped when Destiny Two came out. Um and then how many of those thi- or things are even more complicated and more kind of fiddly in that way things are coming back in November now that they're uh, out from uh, Activision's, uh, you know, purview. Yeah, and, and, and I, think that that's, I think that that's probably evidence enough that what we'll see uh, – here's what I will say is it will be very interesting to see what these folks make without that – uh, without those demands being made of them. Right. Um, my hope is that I'm like wildly surprised and and endeared to whatever it is that they make, that it does have that sense of exploration, you know, uh, uh, of the form, like, you know, trying out some new stuff, those ideas that have been sitting in the closet because you don't want to give them to the company that like you don't trust to, to let you actually execute on them. Right. Nobody um, would do something like that. No, who would do that? Who would have a file filled with ideas <laughs> to use one day? Is that even uh, legal? I don't That's mm. probably, I, I think it's legal if you, if you send it to yourself in a post-dated envelope, right. then it becomes not only legal, but super legal. <laughs> Just super action. cool. Yeah. <laughs> Look at all these good ideas that I can only document today. Uh, wow. Just bursts of inspiration. Uh, I, I, I asked, you know, I, I asked a lawyer and they said extra legal. And I felt like that meant huh. good. So okay. yeah. when lawyers say something is extra legal, that means it's just incredibly cool. And they're blown just, away. Frankly. They're blown away. Like, whoa. Yeah. Whoa, dude. It, whoa, bodacious. Bodacious <laughs> brief. <laughs> uh, we should start a law podcast called Bodacious Brief. So just, let's go. Well, there's another one for the fucking file, I guess. <laughs> if, there, if there were a pile of good ideas, then put this one, which is emblematic of how good these ideas are on it. Bodacious uh, Briefs, a podcast about, I don't know, becoming a lawyer. What if Ricardo and you all want to start a podcast where for the next year we study for the bar exam? <laughs> Become lawyers. <laughs> Become lawyers. <laughs> oh, <shit>. You, you, <laughs> uh, you heard uh, the McElroy brothers will be in Trolls too. Well, get ready for a waypoint. We'll be in the National Bar Association. Oh. <laughs> uh. God. It's just us freaking out. Just like yeah. deep anxiety. Over, over, you know, test prep and and bad early results. Ugh. Be like it'd be like the paper chase uh, meets like a David E. Kelly show uh, uh-huh. from the nineties. Yeah, God, <laughs> I'm I'm watching Perry Mason, but we can't talk about Perry Mason here right now. Uh, we'll have to do that on a different show that doesn't yeah, exist. Okay. If only yeah. there were a show <laughs> where we could. Is that is that actually what? What that that show would be would be just talking about legal Masonic shows. Lodge. <laughs> Boom. Boom. Done. God. All right. Um. Anyway, other other quick news from today. Let's do. Do you all have any other f- final thoughts here on Dreamhaven? Uh, just one last thought. Yes. Um. I don't know if this is solvable, but I also I'm hoping like if they're like here's a bunch of ideas that we just weren't free to chase down uh, while we were Blizzard. I don't know if they're if they're comfortable being like a mid tier right. publisher, like on the scale, of like a focus home type thing, or a little bit smaller. Like it does feel like, oh boy, that's going to be where interesting things are allowed to happen yeah. in the game space because the consolidation. Like we talked about this on Monday. I don't know where all these studios who are owned by Microsoft, who like will be serving Game Pass, 
I don't know what that model brings us in like five years when it's standard. Mm-hmm. I simply don't know what it sustains. Uh, I don't know the decision making behind any of it. And so, like, I do kind of feel like uh, as we're watching all these studios getting scooped up in these acquisitions, I'm like, boy, sure, bring on new publishers that are willing to operate on a smaller scale uh, with with thinner sales. It's Do we like, have we, the we sense yet that. that they're going to operate as a broader publisher or if that is just kind of that it's a clearinghouse for the studio talent that they are building internally? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, I think based on the announcement, your your supposition is probably the better one. Okay. Uh, because like one for one thing, Emmanuel asked this. He was like, "Can you sort of tell what these two studios will be doing based on the CVs of the leadership?" And I really can't no. because both studios have deep connections to both Blizzard RTSs yeah. and to World of Warcraft and to Hearthstone. Yeah. So it's not like you can say one is like, "Ah, here's the old RTS dudes. Here's the Hearthstone dudes." It, it doesn't break down along those lines, which which does make me think, at least as of right now, uh, you will probably have a great deal of like interoperability uh, in like with it within that uh, within that publisher. Right. That I'm not sure they are set up to like acquire more studios or like be a publishing label for completely independent and unconnected uh, studios. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's the model they're pursuing, but. It's day one, right? Like that, right. that could change, but probably we'll know what that looks like once they've got a release under their belts. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, other other short news things. They put the worm in No Man's Sky. They did it. <laughs> they said it couldn't be done. I mean, first they said we're going to do it and then they didn't do it. it yeah. And then other people said it couldn't be done or they said they they lied to us. They said the the they took out the worm and that's why you can't trust them. Uh, I was looking for a rhyme there, but I couldn't think of anything. I was looking for like uh, you know the worm dies, Sean lies, like that style of hmm. you know uh, Sean Murray of, of yeah. Hello Games. Yeah. Frantically, like, is there a Cypress Hill riff? I right. Can make? <laughs> what about Dennis Rodman? Yeah, I probably could. Um, uh, but there's a new No Man's Sky update that is out now called Origins, which is like their 3.0 big up yearly update. Um, I guess it's probably uh, the first one was not year. The, this became yearly two years ago because it was next two years ago. Then mm-hmm. last year was beyond beyond and now Origins. And it's like, you know, they, they're adding billions of new worlds basically to these to the map as it stands. They're just like filling every solar system with with more planets that have the, the long and short is like more interesting um, uh, like geometry, but like more interesting world shapes um, plus megafauna plus volcanoes plus you know, some new UI adjustments. It seems like a, a really big update. I'm very interested in it. I'm going to try to put some time aside this week to to dip into it um, or next week. We'll see. We'll see. You know, depends on time. Uh, but that, that stuff seems cool. Kata, did you, did you check this stuff out at all? Yeah, I looked through the the patch notes and stuff. And I love their patch notes. Their patch notes are so yeah. pretty. Their patch notes are like big and colorful. And Yeah, lots of images, nice. which is very helpful. Just, yeah. just kind of parse what 
the text actually means, you know, when you get a list of patch notes, like, well, how does this actually, you know, yeah. look in game? There's so. like that one bit of like new atmospheric illumination conditions, new lighting basically on certain planets. And just like seeing those screenshots of like, oh, wow. Yeah. These are different moods than exist in the game currently. Yeah. Is, totally. is really cool. Um, uh, this feels like the most, um, this is a live game update that they've done. I feel like, yeah, right. Like the 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 other ones added s- so many kind of like new mechanics in a way that was like, oh, this is this is them filling out the the like mechanical space in this game in a way. Right, that they here are derelicts to. that you can that you can right. you know investigate. Now you can here build are... bases. Now you can right. whatever, right. et cetera, et cetera. And this one feels the most like we're making new content in a. In, in the procedural sense for people who have been playing so that there's something new to kind of find right yeah totally. like and like you know ui updates and like new st- stuff that will be new but life stuff and yeah, yeah but it is that that sort of model of like these are improvements not or not not additions to mechanics but improvements on what's there and also like tweaks that make things uh like fresh to explore but right is right. going to change dramatically the way the game plays anymore like right. there, the jump to having base building is like a huge one. Where like before, like you and your ship were it, right? Right. Um, this is this doesn't have anything like it in there, but it's still exciting because of what is added. Um, just looks really nice. Like looks like enough to like pull me back in for another couple of hours, which is what happens every time one of these updates happens. Uh, I like. Who knows? I think the I think I didn't play as much of the last update, so I'll probably stick around a little longer. That's my thought too. I also I also kind of took a, a pass on Beyond. Yeah. Um, largely because like one of the biggest things there was just the VR, and it's like I'm not going to play this game in VR probably. Right. So that that didn't really do much for me. Um, uh, I will say I'm very excited. There is there are new colossal archive buildings to go to yeah. where you can recover cultural and literary histories. I'm ready, baby. Give me that lore. <laughs> Give me that lore. Let, yeah. let me know what the fucking uh, cool you know monitor people, monitor head people's face, uh, uh, monitor hmm, monitor face people, not head people. I guess their heads are also just monitors, huh? The c- the Kovac, Co- the Co- Co- it's not Kovacs, is it? What is it? Is it not Why Kovac? Maybe it is. Oh, is it just Kovac? Kovac. I'm checking. I'm checking. Corvax. Corvax. Okay. Corvax. Much better. I want to know what their poems are like. Tell me what. Tell me yeah. about their poetry. Let me. Let me get that. Um, I'm very curious about like all that that style of world building stuff, and, and glad that they're doing more of that. Um, so yeah, that'll be that'll be fun. Um, and then what was the what was my second news? I had another news. Uh, let me look at my notes. Not real news, like like hey, here's a oh, Kado, uh, Umarangi, oh, uh, generation yeah. DLC. Yes, yes. Uh, for people who who missed it, Kado and I did an incredible, really fun uh, <laughs> Umarangi so generation yeah. stream as part of the uh, save point um, this year, where we we used a, a prompt generator, like an art prompt generator, to inspire us to go take photos in the levels of the game that were not just like the traditional. Uh, like in-game prompts, like the in-game prompts are like, take a photo of three feathers, find, you know, markers, you know, find a picture of markers. Uh, and that's, that's like not bad, but this was like, you know, sh- shoot a picture of anxiety. Yeah. Shoot a picture of shyness. Um, yeah. Shyness. <laughs> 
a movie opening. Uh, like some stuff that was like, there's not a movie opening on this map. Right. <laughs> we're going to have to figure out what that means and how we're going to interpret that. Yeah. Uh, that was really fun. But they just announced um, uh, a new DLC for it called Macro. Uh, and it's also coming out on Switch. The, the whole game is coming out on Switch. And this new DLC looks great. This new DLC, yeah. like, has a bunch of really cool shit in it, um, uh, including one of the things you asked for. Yeah, being able to take uh, take different uh, kind of levels of, of prone and crouching to get uh, lower angles, which is great. Just, like, more yeah. creative, uh, you know, options. I'm also totally. really excited about making the game into a partial Jet Set Radio game by adding skates and and uh spray painting a spray can yeah spray painting yeah the fact that they just straight up added spray painting is great yeah um uh i'm excited just, to like, draw shit new all music over walls. new location yes totally <laughs> same same uh and the, the the that game has just gotten more relevant and more important to me as the years con- as the years continued um so I, I you know when we first played this game we were still meeting in person uh-huh to to God do this podcast, it. Kato. Now we are not. No. Um, uh, so you'll never be allowed to use that studio again. Probably not. <laughs> probably not. Does it exist? Who knows? Who knows? God, remember we? Were, damn, this fucking year. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I'm just remembering. Are you thinking that's when we had like eight people crammed in there uh, for for end of year? Yeah. I, well, I was no. I was thinking of the fact that there's a different studio space that we had set up. Yeah. This year. Oh, remember? The new studio. We have a new studio space. You can't. We have a new studio yeah. space. Oh, yeah, still podcasting. We, we yeah. podcasted Sorry, in, in my it. head. It's Me still too. The closet. I mean, <laughs> it was still the closet for most things. It yeah. was still the, it was still that little baby room for most things. But we did. Yeah, but the boardroom. <laughs> but the boardroom yeah. was nice. And we'll <laughs> never <laughs> use it again. <laughs> no, it's that done. one we might legally be allowed to use. Maybe. Maybe. The closet, no. The closet's no. a closet. Yeah, no one can go in there. If they put just put some glass partitions up, uh, like we're all like tiny little bank tellers right. in the Ooh. boardroom now. <laughs> okay, uh, then we'll be good to go. I've watched we'll ESPN. Good. I know how they're doing it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it'll, be, it'll be fine. You just get can a little just exterior get those, ventilation. Can we just fine. get those little the ones that cover that like you wear low in your neck and it pops up? Do you know what I mean? Did you see those at the? Did you did you not see what? the photos from this West Wing event? I don't know if they're reshooting oh, no. something. Is there a West oh, Wing no. reunion? Like what? What? I don't know what the special is. But photos came out. Here it is. Here it is. Let me get you this, these great photos of. I need to. I need to brace myself. Uh huh. I'm gonna give you this. Uh, they are all wearing these truly wow. remarkable <laughs> face shields. Yeah. So they're. They look like up from the bottom face shields. They're up from the bottom face shields, and they have like chin guards. And like metal straps around their necks, it's very wow. weird to me. This is this whole thing is weird. This feels cursed. Yeah. Oh, this is big, big cursed. Absolutely. What's this face doesn't have? What? Who? I forgot who he who he was in the middle. Julie of Hill looks there. like he knows this is cursed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wait, Which, there's more images. There's a lot oh, of no. images here. I'm going to close this. We don't. This is not our West Wing podcast. That doesn't exist. That's not on the secret pile. Um, the uh, what else? What else? What else? Is there any other news? God, I have I such a good idea though that I want to run past you about that. All right, but bring anyway. it. Just let's. No, you don't have a. You don't want to do it. You don't want to air it well, right we now. Can't, we can't. 
We can't say it. We can't device. say anything. You're right. We can't say a device. You're right. You're right. <laughs> now, this is where we need to go to former <laughs> former Blizzard uh, folks at Dream Haven. What Haven? Right? Is that right? Yeah, Dream Haven. Right? Yeah. Sorry, it's tough when it's a new publisher plus two new studios to try to get all of those all of those names straight because it's Dream Haven and then it's. Uh, Secret door. I don't remember the third one. Moonshot. I don't remember moonshot. Oh, like I'm like a moonshot. Okay, fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm shocked there isn't already a moonshot games. Truly shocked. Uh, all right, yeah, that's that's probably it in terms of of new stuff. Um, the- Larian Studios renamed their Twitter Baldur's Late. Wow. <laughs> to announce Cell their phone. delay. Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> That's fine. It's not a big <laughs> delay. They're just late. delaying to October 6th. Um, yeah, it's fine. Apparently, it's like for some stress testing. But, that's uh, actually yeah, funny cute. then. Yeah, that's Also, cute. though, I don't know why this has been like... I don't know why I started thinking this way in the last week, but I was like, maybe I just need to get into Divinity Original Sin. Maybe I need to do that. I think you'd like know. that. I, well... And then Cam wrote a thing about uh, Baldur's Gate 2, and I was like, that sounds good. Maybe I should get into Baldur's Gate. And so then if you think about what I'm committing myself to getting into, we return to the problem of sleep schedules yeah, and good uh-huh. sleep hygiene. Yeah. I have no idea how long it would take you to beat all of the previous Baldur's Gate content. Probably a minute. Probably the rest of the year. Right? Like committed. Yeah. Especially also, if I'm trying to do it. Your you know, job especially is, if I play it in my ineffable way, uh, where I don't look things up and I don't check to see if I'm doing things the right way. And yeah. I can only imagine the cul-de-sacs that I would encounter uh, trying oh, to play yeah. through those games. Uh, those games are from an era where it was okay to have dead ends in content in that way. You know, and the main story is only yeah. 46, 48 and a half hours, according to how long to beat. Was that for Baldur's That's Gate 1 days. or 2? Two, two days. That's two days. See, two could, easy days. Two awesome. light. Let's play work. Days. I get this done. A weekend. <laughs> you can probably do the whole series in a week if you really tried. So come on. Um, God. All right. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about some stuff we've been playing and and then get into some emails. That's my suggestion for this very weird energy podcast. <laughs> it's you know, good. I, I like it. I, yeah. I, me too. I feel like this is a very much like a sip your coffee, let Twitter stream, just kind of hang out. You know. This is, it's not quite hot mic mornings energy because it's lower key than that. Right. But it's like it's like cool mic, cool mic afternoons, you know, <laughs> like a little chill. It's kind of rambly. Mic mornings. What was that? Fall, fall, fall. Mic, mic mornings. Yeah, yeah. I got you know, that. It's nice air. out. It is nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, that's how we bring Mike Diver back into the podcast. That's how we bring him Mike's back. Family. Cool Mike mornings. <laughs> hey Mike, what's up? Hey Mike, what's up? What's going on over there? How you doing? All right, let's take a break before we derail even further. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I watched that Dragon's Dogma anime. This will be quick. I watched it. It's bad. Ah. It's not good. Um, they, That's- they built it around a premise that you can see in the episode titles. The episode titles are named things like Sloth and Lust and Gluttony. Ah, yes. Uh, and there's seven of them. Uh-huh. Um, and it's like, you know, there's not really any of that style of, of storytelling in Dragon's Dogma, the game. Um, I guess the dragon speaks at Latin, speaks in Latin at you a little bit at the very top. That's about as close to the seven deadly sins as it gets. Um, but it's not, it's not doing what the show is doing. And this will be quick again, which is just like every episode is an exploration of one of the great human frailties. And it's pursued with just kind of um, wild and reckless abandon uh, in a way that I think is trying to be grim and serious the way a certain subset of like dark fantasy anime is, uh, which of course ends up including a lot of the strange like misogyny and sexual violence. Uh, not a lot of, but there are episodes that 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 go in that direction uh, of some dark fantasy a- anime stuff that again is just not in dragon's dogma it's not this is not from that this is definitely a team that's like we gotta spice this shit up we gotta go we gotta be edgier we gotta be darker um and that it, it's disappointing it's cool when the character uses the moves from dragon's dogma because <laughs> the moves are cool uh they do their best to uh, to take one or two key elements of dragon's dogma lore and put it in the game and as like a dragon's dogma fan I am able to look at it and be like, ooh, what if this is a tease of a class in Dragon's Dogma 2? Ooh, what if this ending <laughs> is setting up a structure for Dragon's Dogma 2? Uh, which does not exist, probably, as much as I hope it does. We will see. I, it's TGS time, so maybe maybe by the time this goes live, there will be a Dragon's Dogma 2 announcement. And you'll be able to tell how low I am now versus how high I am then, how important that is to me. Uh, but but I'm, I'm trying to make peace with myself that we're not going to get a Dragon's Dogma announcement this year uh uh and that this this anime is bad enough that even capcom would look at it and go yeah we can't announce shit right now we gotta let this <laughs> let the heat die down let on the this room clear just let the room clear we'll talk about this shit next year um i mean we'll we'll see we'll see but that's that's uh, you know on my list of things video game related that i've been putting time into there, there was that. I, I, I did my duty. I watched it. I'm, this is me recommending you don't watch it. Uh, it. Go play it instead. That game's still good. Um, we, we did some segments of it on, on Save Point, and that reignited my love for the game, despite watching a series that was trying to snuff it out. Um, uh, games that I think uh, are actually good and worth your time. Y'all playing that Hades? Hell yeah. Hades uh. is good. Hades is, is like really good. Fucking whips. Turns uh, out. Did y'all, did y'all talk about this on Monday? Because that's like when it, I guess it, it actually dropped over the weekend, right? Or like last Hades week? came up on Monday. Okay. Well. It's very good. So I, I, I haven't heard Monday's episode. It's very good. Uh, there is there is a, the, the comparison I want to make to it is probably um, Dead Cells, which maybe that comparison came up on Monday. It did um, 
a game that I thought was felt really good and had very little to keep me coming back to it um, after a victory. And I haven't beaten Hades yet. I've gotten close. I got through to like the the final area before the final area and like the like a room away from the boss i think mm-hmm. uh in yeah. in the final area or the pre-final area rather um and that was like on my fifth run like i had one of those blessed early runs in a roguelike where you end up like getting a build that just kicks ass and you end up going <laughs> way deep you beat like three bosses and you're like yo i want to roll this is it i'm going um uh and, and and that is the thing about it is like the way that a build comes together throughout a run feels really, really interesting uh, and ends up being a little more explorative um, than most similar action roguelikes that I've played. Dead Cells, I ended up getting into like, okay, here's what my build is, you know? Um, even in games like, say, The Spire, I tend to like chase a certain type of build. And I think you could probably right. do it here eventually, especially as you unlock uh, what are these things called keepsakes that help set up what your first like upgrade will be in, in some instances um uh but right now i'm in that stage where i'm just like yo what's this god give me what's this upgrade do what's this like what are the, my choices here what do the weapons look like um and there was so much to unlock on, on that back end but more importantly super giant and i'm sure this was touched on super giant does such a good job with character and world and music and voice acting and all of those things that like help make that help contextualize the action um mm-hmm. Every new loop just like is an opportunity to meet a new character or to talk to someone or to give a gift to someone and get some new piece of dialogue or to read some lore. Um, and there was, there was so little of that in Dead Cells that like I couldn't be, I couldn't care about the world. I could only care about like the way the buttons made violence happen real good. Um, <laughs> and this has that too, you know, learning how the spear works and like getting these combos off where you're like stab, stab, throw. And then you like pull the spear back from uh, the distance. Like it's, you know, Thor's hammer or whatever. Um, like that stuff the feels s- so good. The spear is, feels like the weapon. Which is that is, your is that your go to? Yeah, a hundred percent. Which is a problem because I don't get the the bonus shadow material or whatever because it, it never seems to happen on the spear for me so far. I think it's I think it happens. This it's is like my supposition, right? I didn't think it was random. I thought it was an encouragement to go to a new weapon, right? Specifically, so here's what I'll say: is my best run was the bow, a weapon I was not excited about using when I first unlocked it. Yeah, um, I could not. My first the, couple runs were not good with it. <laughs> I got a Neptune, uh, not Neptune, Jesus, Poseidon. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a Poseidon upgrade, a pair of Poseidon upgrades that was like knockback damage on the Y, that kind of like spread shot. And mm. then also something that pierced that pierced enemies with that end that did bonus damage on knockback. So it became just this incredible room clearer. Um, and it was like that plus some other stuff ended up being a build that made me really safe because I could clear – I could get things away from me. I could stand in the corner and, and just draw people. That's what took me to almost beating the first boss the first time. Um, wow. But then, yeah, I think it was the spear build that got me to level four, which was <clears throat> the the big thing – the big – it turns out that, that when you get a thing in a game like this that lets you heal yourself – 
it's powerful. Uh, there was a there was some sort of I think it was a chaos ability maybe that gave uh, me like it cut my health by forty percent, but gave you the ability to heal every time you do a hit. What? And so yeah, dude. <laughs> what? Yeah, going from like oh yeah, you can heal three points per level, and then spend resources on food every now and then to every hit gives you healing. Jesus. Was like okay, well. If there is a build I'm going to chase, it's probably going to be this because I feel yeah. so comfortable just being really aggressive with this thing. Actually, maybe there was a sword build because that was also the one where that was it was it was sword plus um, the way this game works is you get these you find these icons that connect you these messages from the Olympian gods. The Olympian gods bless you, and each god, each Olympian god has a sort of set of um, of of upgrades and uh, to your basic attacks uh, or changes to them. Um, and those can kind of work together in contingent in, in interesting ways. So that was a build where I had uh, Dionysus and um, Aphrodite stuff. The Aphrodite stuff made, made my like AOE attacks make enemies weak, um, which is to say that I think that they took they took more damage on subsequent hits and sometimes also did less damage after. And then the Dionysus stuff made like a big cloud of like sleepy gas and everyone just like was chilling out. Um, you know, you, you basically turned your like your magic blast into a magic lob that explodes into like a field of kind of like, you know, drunk miasma basically. <laughs> um, and then there's a, there's a thing in this game where, if you're going down, the, I guess it's if you're if you're really balancing out two gods, or maybe this is a luck thing. Um, it mu it must just be a luck thing. Uh, I got to a room where I had a gift from Dionysus and from Aphrodite, and whoever you turn down gets fucking pissed at you and challenges you to like a difficult what? fight, basically. Um, <laughs> and not directly, not not a difficult fight with them, but like a challenge room, basically with a special thing. Right. So the Aphrodite one was like I was being chased by. A an enemy the entire time I did like an invincible enemy that was shooting things at me while dealing with other regular enemies in that room. Um, but then I think I completed that and got maybe I didn't get from that. Maybe the next room I went into the next the next time I saw Karen, um, there was a duo ability available because their abilities do specifically stack in interesting ways. And that duo ability was both Dionysus and Aphrodite. And it said like anyone who was drunk on the on the Dionysus stuff would take extra damage from the Aphrodite attacks or whatever. Um, anyway, that stuff is all really good. And then also your character is just like flirting with everybody all the yeah. time. And everyone is just super hot. And the character design is great. And everyone's sort of sad. And everyone's kind of like yeah. a weird. There's also lots of weird rivalries. There's all your uncles are like mad at the other uncles. And like everyone's trying to be cool. You're, you're cool, you know, a distant relative who wants you to come stay at their crib in Olympus. Uh, it's great. It's it's really good. Like I've been so hit and miss on super giant games over the years. Uh, this is like a strong hit for me so far. Um, so shout outs to them. Congrats on on launching 1.0. I'm yeah. glad I waited. I'm glad I can just be like, I'm gonna throw myself into this thing until I beat it, and then I'm gonna be done with it. But I'm gonna beat it. I'm not just gonna like get to a boss and be like, oh yeah, I guess I'll check back in on this, and then never check back in on it. I'm going to like keep playing it because it it. It is a real like hooks in you style game. Uh, Kyle, I don't know if you have any other uh, any other Hades thoughts. I just I 
really love it and i love poseidon a mm. lot because his knockback on dash i made a dash build basically Ooh, where okay. most of my damage was coming by dashing through and past people which was okay. fucking great because it was a run where i had a bow and I, I cannot wrap my head around doing good damage with the bow and staying alive so i i really it's really neat how uh kind of varied and um the different uh ways the uh gods kind of build on top of each other also yeah. is interesting. it feels like every it's got that that drip of every run there's something you'll probably figure out something new even once like i've gone through enough runs that i know what all the gods are like i'm not unlocking new gods but then they introduce the fact that some of those gods stack in interesting ways and all that like it just like keeps having this like drip of new fresh information every single run uh in in a really fun way totally um, you know, the thing that I, I keep thinking about it in relation to is Star Renegades, a game I still really like um, mm-hmm. quite a bit. But I, but of the two, it feels like Hades is much more suited to the run-based structure, yes. um, which I think is to say that there's more variation on each run uh, and that the encounter design is better suited to tile-based or proc-gen rooms and encounters, whereas Star Renegade feels, Star Renegades feels so much like something that if it had just been a 12-hour RPG or mm-hmm. a 15, you know what I mean? 12 to 20 hours, and they said, you know what? We're going to release a kind of really cool stylistic um, or stylish uh, RPG with a really sharp, um, you know, look uh, and a really clever mechanic. Um, the, the timeline mechanic in Star Renegades is so, so, so smart. Uh, but I, I would I would almost have rather you know e- each so I've beaten Star Renegades once now and that took me like three or four hours and it's so easy to imagine a world in which that instead had been step one of a twelve hour campaign right. um, or something like that uh, three and to four hours just, total or the, on that run on that run yeah, yeah that's a it's a long run like that's right. the thing this yeah, is not an hour thing. long run game I think it's an hour per planet basically right in my experience yeah um, and then. And then there's a fourth kind of final location, uh, final boss situation, uh, and and all said, like you know, four four ish hours, three and a half hours, four hours on the, on that win, and it's like, ah, I I really like this a lot. You know, it's it's probably in the running for for my top ten list this year, but it I don't know that its qualities are as suited to me than going back. I think there's some really interesting stuff we haven't talked about in terms of what happens after you beat that game that I think is kind so of spoilery. I'm, I'm going into uh, the fourth uh, planet soon, so okay, we cool. So you'll know once I yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, I don't want to spoil that for you. And there's cool stuff that happens there, but I don't think that there's enough difference in in you know, the characters level up the same each time. Maybe you pick different characters and that's really cool. But now that I've had, now that I've unlocked all of like the base characters, um, I feel like I'm just kind of walking through the, the, the same steps and just hoping to get a good run to, yeah. to unlock some more stuff, you know? Right. Um, so. It definitely, it almost feels like they maybe. I mean, this is a hundred percent speculation, but there's something about the way that it's structured that feels like it was maybe meant to be a linear thing, and then they were like, "Oh, this right. is gonna take too long," or like, "Like we don't right. have the resources to stretch this out past this like four to five hour mark. 
what if we make those runs, right? Like, what if we shift into a repeatable mode instead of like one, like one playthrough sort of thing? Um, just because of how long it is, like, it, that's how I like, that's how I can like imagine this coming together basically is because yeah. most other games, when they know they're going to be run based, like they, those runs are shorter. Like they just, they just are because the, the repeatability of it, like, comes from there being new interesting things each run rather than runs being so long that even if one or two things do change, it doesn't feel that drastic between right. each run. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I also played some, some risk of rain two over the, over save point um, and then continued after save point, which was part of why my <laughs> sleep schedule was not as good as it should have been. Um, and uh, ended up, we, we, we beat that game on save point. Me, Joel, Natalie, and uh, Kaz, one of our one of our great mods. Um, by by we, I mean Kaz really carried us at the end to the final <laughs> boss fight. But I will say the next night, or or yeah, I think it must have been the next night. Um, I beat the game with a different character. One of the characters I went on to unlock, uh, and that game has like a great. This is the other thing I was thinking about with Hades is that. The final boss fight in Risk of Rain is super, super, super cool. Again, I don't want to spoil it for people, but there's, you know, um, you're being asked to respond to attacks in ways that the, mo- the rest of the game doesn't expect you or doesn't demand of you. Um, and there are some, like, really cool dramatic mechanical moments around the, the way you play your character and kind of how you've come to expect to play that character. For people who don't know, Risk of Rain 2 is a kind of a 3D, like, um, uh, action RPG thing in the vein of something like a Dead Cells, uh, or a or, or with the structure of something like a Dead Cells or a Binding of an Isaac, except that you're in a third person perspective camera. You're jumping all around. You're getting upgrades that let you fly or boost. And there's like a huge kind of or a large open environment uh, for each level, basically. Uh, and also, it all has the it all has the vibe of a sci-fi prog rock album. And also that's kind of (laughs) what the music is. Um, uh, And in that um, you have a lot to unlock and there's lots of mysteries in the world and blah, blah, blah. But I wish that there were, and I really liked it, but I really wish there were more boss fights like the final boss fight because it really pushes you to know how to play your character in an interesting way, uh, how to respond to things you don't expect, how to learn, how to, you know, do pattern recognition and all that stuff. And there's so little else in the game that feels like that. It, it mostly kind of feels like you're managing space and resources kind of normally. It's kind of like an onslaught of enemies or various, you know, of various degrees. And so you're making sure that you're like not cornered. You're making sure that you're near stuff that can give you healing or you're near stuff that can give you extra damage or whatever. Um, and that you're you're going through your abilities in the right pace and stuff like that. But that's different than I'm engaging with this enemy who has this boss who has like a move set that I'm trying to learn how to counter. And Hades does that every few levels. Like Hades, when Hades drops either an actual boss, it's a big deal, or even just a new enemy type where you're like, all right, <clears throat> what the fuck do these things do? Um, there's like some mid late game enemy stuff in Hades that I think is really fucking cool that completely changes how you're dealing with space, uh, and, and how your character moves. And it's just, I, I, I will not shut up about, I will not stop saying good things about Hades unless I shut up about Hades. So I'm going to shut up (laughs) up about Hades and suggest that we reopen our bad bosses and food rivalries email. Uh, you can send those to gamingadvice.com. Uh, let me give you all the link. Rob, do you want to read this first one in from Down you don't Under? I need that link, but yeah. I, yeah, boom. There it is. 
All right, just right at the top. Yep, from FB. Fish and chips down under. I thought I'd throw an Antipodian story into the food place rivalry discussion. I come from a small coastal town in Australia where for many years the undisputed fish and chip spot was called Viz Fish and Chips. On the coast, Australians tend to have strong opinions about their fish and chips as Americans do about diners or burger joints. Viv was the perfect local place, run by an older guy and his wife who charged $4 for a butcher's paper-wrapped load of chips that could feed a family of five. Viv operated out of a small shopping arcade only a few blocks from the beach, and the seating outside the small frontage was regularly full of kids from the local primary school. Anyway, about 15 years ago, the shopping arcade got bought out as the slow creep of sea change money from the major cities hit my town. I don't know what that is. Does anyone here know what sea change money is? No, that feels like a political thing. Sea change Australia. (laughs) It extremely Uh, does. The last thing I heard about, like, Australian money was probably the Centerlink uh, scandal. But, yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea. What this is. I found a TV show. Is yeah, this... I doubt it. I... No. Maybe no. There was a reason. I don't know what this is. Me either. I don't. All anyway, right. see. Anyway, look. The point is, there's some <laughs> sort of Deus Ex Machina where there's sea change money arriving from major <laughs> cities, and it's hitting this town. Uh, with the arcade on the auction block, Viv decided to hang up his apron. The story made the local paper. At the same time, a new contender for the crown of deep fried seafood set up shop. This place was called Salt, and they sucked. They I understand what a sea change is. What? <laughs> in the show, Sea Change, I think this is the original show and presumably the new version of it, a, Laura Gibson is a high-flying city lawyer, and she's prompted to undergo a sea change with her children, Rupert and Miranda, after her husband is arrested for fraud and is found to have had an affair with her sister. Laura then becomes the magistrate for the fictional small coastal town of Pearl Bay with its many colorful characters, blah, blah, blah. So it's like you're rich and you're living in a fancy city. And you're like, you know what? You know what? It's time for a sea change for me and my family. We're going to go to a little town by the bay. We're going to move out with all our money. And like slide. Oh, so into, you're saying this is okay? I, so this is just Australian like white flight. I, yes, but also it might. The reason they called that might be because of this classic TV show that they loved from okay. 20 years ago. Because from but 1998 this is to but 2000, wealthy people are they're like I've had it with the city. I've had it with the city. The Australian exurbs. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly it. Anyway, sorry. all right. Pick up from the um, beginning of that sentence. Yeah. Uh, the place was called Salt, and they sucked. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of restaurants named Salt that I've been happy with. Anyway, they yeah. sold little burger-style portions of chips for $6. They didn't have fresh seafood, chilling and ice at the front, and rarely seemed to have kids hanging around after school. A few months after the transition to Salt, as the only fish and chip shop in my little town, the universal disdain for its upmarket pitch was evident when Viv came out of retirement. Woo! Everyone is just clapping. for the old shop kept Viv in business for another 10 years, and the shop still runs to this day, I believe now owned by his son. Love all the work that you do, FB. Go love Viv. Love it. Go Viv. I love a, yeah. a story where Viv gets to win. You know, the little guy gets to stand up to the... Salt is such a... Not to just use this term, I just... It's such a sea change name. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It oh, definitely... Uh, I can see the decor for this fucking place. Me like, too. I can see yeah. this fucking restaurant, and it's like tiny little like t- like semi tapas style, mm-hmm. semi gastropub like menu. Yep. Oh, like yep. just loathsome shit. 
God. Go Viv. Well, here's the other thing, too. Fish and chips is like, you either are good at it or you aren't. You can't yeah. fake that. You can't like, yep. ooh, look at the decor. People will like <laughs> fish and chips. Like it's you gotta, gotta nail good. that shit. And you if gotta you're nail the, it. Yeah, if you're replacing the beloved greasy spoon, where like they serve some good fush, fucking fish and chips, then you got to bring it. Yep, absolutely. Um, Kyle, do you want to read this next one? Uh, disgruntled one again. Yeah, disgruntled. Uh, Boom. Yes. Uh, here is our awful boss story. I work at a municipal recreation slash fitness community center where wages haven't gone up in years and a position, which requires college or university completion, is now <laughs> a minimum course. wage gig. The uh-huh. staff as a whole was disgruntled across all centers and upper management's brilliant idea was to waste a weekend on a community morale building meeting. The meeting consisted of attempts at team building, icebreakers, and group activities like come up with ideas to boost gym memberships. <laughs> Like work. Yeah, <laughs> the, uh-huh. the the kick in the abdomen came at the end when the man when managers lined up and awkwardly read a script explaining that wages were not going up. This led to a question period where staff voiced their grievances about wages to the top boss, who responded to all questions with human answers like employee wages are a top expense of a bit are the top expense of a business and the Hawthorne principle states that employees are not movi- motivated by money. Uh, people left the morale building meeting more angry than before. Nobody took the free pizza home. P.S. The centers have opened during the pandemic. This area is very conservative and the older population hardly wears masks. Don't go to a gym during the pandemic. I love that. You know, it's a huge problem for us that employee wages are the top expense of the. Yeah, every business is going to have expenses, dude. You know, <laughs> like bis- the yeah. pie is going to be divided some kind of way. It is not uh-huh. my problem that like your business runs on employees. Go fuck yourself. Absolutely. Fucking fuck Christ. off. God. I had to look up the Hawthorne principle, aka the Hawthorne effect. Uh, which, if you're curious, just you can go look it up and criticism of it up. That's my suggestion. Um. Jem writes in uh, and says, for just shy of 10 years, I worked as a software developer for a Canadian startup. Like most startups, the company was always looking for investors. So every so often, suits would fly in from Silicon Valley to poke around, hand out business cards, and ask us a few questions. And generally make sure the CEO wasn't just blowing smoke, which he always was, obviously. I can't count the number of times I was in a meeting where the CEO promised a client that our software could do something that it manifestly couldn't. For years, it was my job to scramble to try to turn his lies into something approximating the truth. One time in particular, an investor had just come in and had a long chat with our CFO. The CFO wasn't particularly happy with our CEO at the time, probably because I had just given him a technical walkthrough of our system, which demonstrated in no uncertain terms that the CEO was full of shit. (laughs) All the higher-ups were worried that the CFO might say something undesirable, read, true, uh, to the investor, so the head of HR and the CTO hatched a plan. The CTO would pull the CFO into an impromptu meeting while the head of HR snuck into the CFO's office and stole the investor's business cards so that the CFO couldn't follow up with him. Because little pieces of cardstock are the only way to get someone's (laughs) phone number, I guess. 
Anyway, this plan worked for all of 45 seconds before the CFO stormed out of the fake meeting and caught the head of HR coming out of his office. He confronted her and she cracked immediately. The CFO demanded that the CEO fire both the CTO and the head of HR, but this was complicated by the fact that the head of HR was also the CEO's wife. So it was the CFO who was the CEO's uncle who left instead. (laughs) Cool stuff. (laughs) <laughs> the CEO and the head of HR leaders split up acrimoniously, but last I heard, she was still the head of HR for the company. I think her actual training was in archaeology. <laughs> I have dozens of stories like this. For a few years, the CEO decided to start calling employees partners and pretended to adopt a shared decision-making model, but refused to put anything legal in writing. Of course, when venture capital money came along, this whole partnership idea evaporated. The guy also had a habit of making people founders of the company retroactively. There was one founder who started working there five years after I did. I remember a presentation that the CEO gave where the slideshow called someone the Ford founder of the company. F4RD. Like fourth, but 4RD. Because the same presentation last year had called him the third founder, but the CEO had inserted another founder into the company's history in the meantime. Thank you, Jem. Uh, I'm sorry. This company is the is the reason I ultimately decided to leave the industry. And now in the midst of a global pandemic, I've just started my first year in medical school. Wish me luck. Good luck to you, Jem. An incredible story. <laughs> top to bottom. Oh my god. The gutlessness is I just know. incredible. The like I could have a slightly slightly, this is not even very awkward. It's just literally a hey, could you not shit all over the company to the investor? Right. That's all you gotta say. That's all you gotta say. Yeah. And instead, it's like, no, I got it. Fake meeting. Okay, so here's the thing: we need we need three people read in on this. Mm-hmm. I'll hold the hold the fake the fake meeting. I'll hold uh, the fake Bernie meeting. Mac will sneak into the <laughs> office and grab and grab the idea, the ID. He'll give it to Matt Damon, who right. will then run it. Yeah, come on, it's unbelievable. Fucking and also, I just love that she. Cr- also, I love the idea that like, oh yeah, this is just the CFO and the and the and the head of HR. But like, no, the the CEO is the husband of the head of HR, he definitely put them up to it, and then like is trying to claim some sort of plausible deniability as like not being involved. Absolutely not. It's a hundred percent. All that whole family is in on it. Yeah. They all gotta go. I think that the the CTO should have just had a coup taken over the company, brought everyone else to a new company, just started fresh, I feel like. I feel like this is the exact sort of bullshit that that ends up leading to a big split. I you know, anyway. Great story. So, I just want to shout out the one thing, the person who wrote in about the uh the uh, fitness centers yes. and like being told like, yeah, you know, we got to control those employee wages and people aren't motivated uh-huh. by salary. Uh, there was a good piece in uh, the nation uh, a couple weeks ago by Robin Kaiser uh, Schatzlin. It was, re- it was sort of discussing a new book called worked over by Jamie uh, K. McCallum. But basically it's like tracking the, when did this notion of, well, it's trying to track a lot of things around like declining worker wages and uh, just sort of the ideology that surrounded that and attended it. But the thrust of this piece is also, when did it start becoming a thing that you were supposed to love your job? You're supposed to be passionate and engaged. When did that become 
it, we now take it as a truism, right? right. This is a thing right. that we're constantly told in school. It is a thing that when you go to a job interview, you will be asked in so many words to really demonstrate your excitement and passion for the job. Uh, so when did this come from? And so sort of tracking it, tracking this movement back to the early 70s. The early 70s where you can track a lot of stuff in the <laughs> modern economy uh, back to. And one of the things that this book sort of digs into is that in the 70s, you started seeing workers and in industry uh, basically just kind of becoming really alienated from their work. And mm. really, because this was kind of like, the final refinement of the assembly line model. And so you had jobs that were hyper-specialized, uh, that were incredibly routinized to drive efficiency. But even more than workers like 10, 15 years ago, now you really did feel like a cog in a machine. And worker morale was starting to plummet because it is kind of mind-numbing. And uh, you were starting to see a lot of problems attending that. And so there started to be some concern about like, hey, what are jobs doing to people? Uh, but instead of doing anything to reform that or change that, instead what we got was uh, a shift at the corporate level about trying to tweak it so that people now had to convince themselves they they loved their work. To quote right. from the article, management had to create the necessary philosophy to ease tension on the job or companies would lose productivity. That is, management didn't need to make the workplace better. It needed a new coercive ideology that would pay lip service to these new demands. Management took up this task with aplomb. After the 1970s, firms almost unilaterally began to stress the importance of loving your job. In 1962, a poll found that 6% of people thought success at work required a meaningful job. 20 years later, it was 49%. Uh, and so I, I just thought it was interesting as well, mm -hmm. that this, this whole notion that like there's so many jobs we are forced to pretend, especially to get in the door. That like you're going to be hyper engaged. You're yeah. going to be excited to do this job. I've had those interviews where like, hey, you know, why do you why are you excited to work here? And the answer frequently was, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not, dude. Like, <laughs> I'm working at a liquor store and I need to get the fuck out. Uh, my right, my boss right. just like caused his entire kitchen staff to walk out and things are <laughs> fucked. I just need to get out. Yeah. And like the answer was. So how are you going to really apply yourself and your skills to this position in a content mill? How are you going to really engage with that? And I'm literally like, I just want to keep a roof over my head. Dude, and I'm just going to show up and do the work. Like, that's it. Yeah. That's what I'm yeah. going to do. But if you say that, you work you're not getting that job. Right. Of course not. Yeah. And so I think this is, this is one of the other traps I think a lot of us are in is you're kind of not like, I think work today requires a level of dissimulation that like would have been really fucking weird to our grandparents and their parents. Right. Where it's like just walking in the door. Now you have to pretend man. Well, sure. I'm excited to be working at the widget factory. <laughs> well, the irony to that is one of the, one of the, the, I think major stereotypes that is probably grounded in truth based on personal experience and the experiences of the people I know is that in our parents' generation, and, and especially our grandparents' generation, you had folks who worked for one company their whole lives, whereas I don't know that I know anyone who has been at one place for their whole career in our generation. Uh, I, I'm, I'm genuinely trying to think if I know anyone. Like, no, nothing comes to mind as like a, 
up, you know, in your 20s forward, do you stay at one place? It happens, you know, I guess here and there. But but on the on the trend, you have people who are bouncing from job to job, whether that is at the office level or the retail level or or whether that is in you know our industry, bouncing from publication to publication, whether that is in banking, whether that is in, you know, uh, academia, whether that is in, you know, working at restaurants. You're not – you don't have that life – that you're not a lifer in that same way, but you are expected to perform that sort of – the dance of loyalty. You're supposed to pretend yes. like you were already loyal to the place just to get the job to begin with, even though everyone involved should by this point understand that this is a temporary engagement. Even a long engagement will be a temporary one. There will be a point at which the break occurs. Um and and that is so strange. And and yeah, I we live in a weird culture. Um and it's a culture that was created, right? Like I think this is the thing that that, that piece gets at is this didn't come from nowhere. This wasn't this is a project that was right. per, per, uh, that was pursued by people who wanted right. an outcome. When is the moment you decided that you wanted to love your work? Can you can you point to it? Because I can. Right, I right. can pinpoint the moment uh, I wanted I, to be a writer. I can pinpoint my yeah. arc toward like I want to become a writer. I think there's like, an ethos instilled in me by my parents, probably very yeah. much the like love what you do and you'll never work a day in your life type stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, also I, your your dad was an entrepreneur. Correct, right? Well, my dad, my dad was a retail manager for years. My dad ran, you know, sold sold suits at a men's, you know, a, a suit store, and then you know managed a you know the clothing section of a or the men's section of a Kmart, and then you know I did all that stuff and saved up money and borrowed money from yeah. his family, and I was like, listen, I'm going to go into into business for myself. And for him, that was he loved doing that. It's like that taking yeah. that swing was a big swing for him. Um, and there were highs and lows in that experience in in many, many, many ways. Um, uh, because it turns out being a small businessman showing that there was, for instance, in South Jersey, the, uh, the, uh, uh, you know, a, a desire for the, you know, emerging FUBU South Pole, like that era of hip hop, pure players, you know, Carl Kanai, like that style of like, you know, urban fashion, you can do it as a small businessman, but only until, you know, a big company shows up that has a bigger, bank account and you know deeper discounts from wholesalers and blah 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 um and and that's what happened right in a real way to 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 that business anyway um uh and and then you know the rest of the we do not need to do a blow by blow of my father's business career needless to say my dad is now a good salesman for someone else's company now yeah. selling you know uh we don't need to get into what my dad does specifically uh but but he is he has now moved into part of his life where he's made that switch back. And I think that there's something really interesting. And, and it was very um, – in talking to him about whether or not I wanted to leave leave my full-time job at Vice, actually, we talked a lot about him trying to make that decision, going from something that was secure as an employee to trying to go into business for himself. Um, and it was risky and probably cost him money in the end, but was him pursuing something where he did have the degree of freedom at least to – to feel like he was in charge and in, in command of his own destiny in some way. Um, and and that, I think, was different than the feeling that he had working for anyone else where he knew very well that he was not happy going to work for Kmart. You know, you know what I mean? And I think that there was a degree that that was part of how that was instilled in me was about like I, that, that sort of do what you want to do for yourself. And that is the part of it that that. I think was trying to be instilled in me. And yet I think maybe it came across because it was mixed in with the rest of the cultural messaging of find a job you love 
and you'll be happy and you won't feel like you're working, which is just not true. Like I, I love what we do. I loved what we did at, at Waypoint. I loved what I did at Giant Bomb. Like I, I loved being a teacher before that. It never didn't feel like work. <laughs> like it was always still work. It was always still long weeks and hard hours and frustrations and budget limits and all the shit that goes along with, with, you know, difficult people that you work with and all that shit exists. None of that stuff goes away. Um, and so, and so, yeah, I, I, I can pinpoint that, but, but what I think maybe the thing that's interesting there is that the actual lesson being taught, which was about autonomy, um, and about breaking away from the sort of like structure and finding a way to do stuff on your own, um, was caught up in the broader cultural lesson of be a happy worker. And that's not what my parents were trying to teach me by any means, probably, you know, the like, my my hippie poet mom was certainly not trying to tell me that I would really like – that my life would be easier if I just liked my jobs more, uh, <laughs> you know, when she was giving me advice. That's definitely not the vibe. But but I think it kind of sublimated itself because that's what the, – that is the, the sort of way to make intelligible the the – that that advice maybe in, in in a market where you're like okay well no I'm going to have to go work for someone else how do I do that in a way that doesn't feel so bad um, but yeah I don't know I don't know I feel like Kata did you get the same the same arc of like someone teaching you that you should like your job or or was your no. family not not that way no because I got this I got this kind of off. My parents worked so that their children could have a better life and therefore job was about survival and not necessarily about any sort of passion. Like they never conflated those two. And then also going to an arts magnet middle school and an arts mm. magnet high school mm-hmm. where being a visual artist was kind of like the training that everyone was going for was like, look, you're going to need a day job. That is just how you get by, right? Like, it's because of the way society is currently built up and, like, does not value art in the same way that you will always be working. But what's important is that you don't lose sight of having something that you enjoy in your life, right? Like, not letting your job become so all-encompassing that you can't find fulfillment elsewhere. Uh, it it became very much the, like, you're going to have to deal with a job, not but being happy at your job was never a thing that was ever even like like from neither from my parents nor from like the institution of school did I ever get the like figure out how to be happy at a job it's like you're gonna have to deal with it give yourself the tools to deal with it and keep yourself um leave yourself with enough energy to follow something else outside of that purview because a job jobs jobs are just about survival right it's just because we live in a capitalist society it's just because we need money in order to survive right now Um, totally some of this gets worsened because like i think deepening precarity means that you don't even get that breathing room right Right. like right totally that just general flexibility the like you're supposed to be working whenever i text you that's when you're fucking working right (laughs) yeah yeah Um, just that just that feeling of like yeah, I think it's gotten way harder to be like, oh, yeah, well, this is the day job. And then at night, I pursue my passion. I think for a lot of folks, it's like, well, at night, I do the other, like the night job or yeah. I, you know, the side hustle thing mm-hmm. uh, because I'm just sort of trying to Tetris together my uh, my my monthly nut, basically. Uh, and I think that yeah. that further changes things. So because I think about like, you know, this arc and when I was um, thinking about like, what do I don't want to do with my life? Uh 
I looked Little a lot. Things I like considered ac- <laughs> academia, right? Sure. Where I was like, that seems like stable. It seems like it gives you time enough to like have some passions, etc. That seems like a place to go. But by the time I'm like approaching that decision, like, are you going to commit to academia? I'm starting to dawn on. It's starting to dawn on me, and a lot of my professors are warning me, like, hey, it's getting worse. Yeah. Uh, the trends are not good, and like the thing that you see us, it's like it's all survivorship bias. Like we're a bunch of people here being like, hey, we've got tenure. Our cohort isn't doing as well by and large. And it's just like the odds are getting worse. And I think about like, you know, my dad, you know, he worked at steel mills and that gave him enough breathing room to attend college uh, around that. Um, And then that gave him an entry into business. And when business went bust, he was able to throw himself on the mercy of his old advisor and like complete his master's. Oh, and wow. get like certified to teach. He like just they they like had to do the special dispensation. Uh-huh. Like, hey, yeah. you went into a different career for ten years. Yeah, and now you're basically saying you want to finish up that master's uh, that you basically abandoned. But his <laughs> professor, uh, Doctor Trusty, uh, God rest him, uh, was like cool about it. Great name, good. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. Uh, <laughs> and so definitely like had his back and got him a spot like completed that master's and he was able to start teaching at community college and like sort of build out a career from there. And it was all, it was all fine. It was all livable. And I look at like how everything has just gotten harsher and worse. And I think increasingly that like those margins have just gotten thinner. So like the thought of, well, I guess I'll teach at community college long enough to figure out what I'm doing long term. I think even, it feels like even that now has gotten way tighter and harder um, and so I think this notion of, I can see where it would have made sense for people working in the seventies and eighties to start to think like, yeah, it would be good to find, to find work you enjoy and that, that has meaning to you. And I think now we're sort of in a position where you can find lots of work that has meaning to you, but like giving space to lead a unstressed, not even unstressed, but just like a life where you're not terrified half the time, that's become much, much harder. I'm and actually, I, 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 and I'm, I'm curious to what degree I'm, I would be curious or what degree our listeners feel like they do have jobs with meaning in the sense that like, I think that there, there are more of those sorts of jobs now in the sense what I'm, what I mean is there are more jobs now. There are more ways to make income from uh, creative labor, right? From immaterial style labor that is focused on creative work, um, doing podcasting with a Patreon on the side or doing, you know, art commissions or doing, there are more ways to be able to make some money from doing that sort of work. And certainly the field of, for instance, uh, the enthusiast games press is wider in some ways it's, it, than it has been in the past. Um, uh, but I'm actually curious if there have there's also been such an uptick in the sort of gig economy stuff, the up an uptick in the other half of the immaterial labor stuff, the kind of service economy, phone banking, uh, data entry, like you know that style of stuff. Um, <clears throat> that I, I I would I would be curious to know like. How many of you listening like your job um, or, or feel that there is meaning in your job, which is a different claim than like your job? Because I can imagine liking a job in which I have liked jobs in which 
I am not really engaged and I'm not finding meaning, but it is a way for six hours to disappear. And, and then I get to go back to the rest of my life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. Um, that feels good sometimes. Uh, uh, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And, and I, to, to see if I'm picking up what you're putting down though, despite the fact that you're finding meaning, what you're not finding is a stable income, good, good, uh, you know, some sort of long-term structure that you can count on for more than, you know, a year at a time without feeling like the rug is going to be pulled out from under you. Benefits that cover you and your family. Uh, all the stuff that that you would have gotten theoretically from a good factory job 30 years ago. Right? Right. Yeah, that's – yeah, because I think a lot about like when I was sort of uh, at my most successful as a freelancer and like that shit was exhausting because it yeah. was just every week like, okay, what are the – in and out flows of money. What's what's happening? Can I, yeah. which of these bills can I punt down the road? Yep. And so it was this weird, like it was uh, like for a long time, it took me to put this, to, took a while for me to admit this to myself, but like I was doing what I loved, right? Yep. So why was I sad and kind of miserable? And the answer wasn't because I hated the work. I liked the work. I liked my editors. I was just depressed by the fact that like, I couldn't focus on that. The, the work never ended. It was that you'd finish work and then it was time to do the work of, okay, how do I make this, this sustain a life? Um, and that was, that was where it got pretty hairy. And yeah. it took me the, this ideology of like, Hey man, like you love what you do that you love what you're doing. Uh, so you're ahead of the game. Took it, made it really hard for me to recognize that like, yeah, but that wasn't quite getting the job done. Mm -hmm. totally. Ahead of the game doesn't necessarily mean anything when, uh, the whole system has shifted so badly that, you know, you're ahead of like full on bullshit, but it's like still shit. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, absolutely. Right. Yep. Like it does make it better, but that doesn't mean it's good yet. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to read this last email, uh, that, that was written, uh, by, in fact, is this even the right one? One second. Uh, I, I'm now, I'm now being like, wait a second. So we got a few of these, I believe. Um, okay. Now I'm feeling like I fucked up. No, hang on. Well, hang the right on. There one. was one I spotted that just came in that felt like oh, okay. Well, I read, don't think it's related to a one. previous email, but okay. it sounds like a similar deal. Uh, can I read this one from uh, Julia? Yes. All right. Uh, it's titled "Competitive Froyo and Divorce Brisket." Hey, Waypoint <laughs> folks, if y'all are still interested in restaurant rivalries and boss stories, I've got two in one. Uh, this email is a little long, so feel free to chop it up and read however much you like. It's not that long. You, you don't know what a long email looks like. Uh, you'll see some of the stuff we get. Uh, but I am going to change the names to protect the innocent here. My first job when I was 16 was at a frozen yogurt place called Pink Mango. The boss was a little weird and controlling in the, in the boring way most bosses are. He made us text him for our individual schedules week by week instead of just posting them publicly. Had me open and close alone at unsafe hours. Would manipulate people into quitting so he didn't have to fill out the paperwork for firing them. That, firing them, that kind of thing. The store made very little profit because we opened literally next door to the already established local frozen yogurt place. Word is, the original place had previously wielded power with the city to get the beloved snow cone stand in the neighboring parking lot, which I also later worked at, to move 100 yards away because of some con contract stipulation. 
Pink Mango had a loophole, though. We leased out of a United supermarket, so they couldn't make us move because we were technically affiliated with that chain and therefore not solely a frozen yogurt place. We got asked why we were stupid enough to open next to Name Redacted about a million times a day, and my boss always got obviously annoyed but never seemed to have an answer. Anyway, it eventually got bad enough for us to close down a year and a half after opening. The way everyone found out, our boss and his boss emptied the place out at sunrise without so much as informing the supermarket or its managers and laid us all off by a text an hour before we were supposed to open. Aside from being involved in the oil and gas industry, the regional manager now runs a La Madeline, fast food casual chain in the south, think Panera, but sort of French, in nearby <laughs> Lubbock, Texas, which according to my relatives who live there, kind of sucks. Daniel, my boss, friend requested me on Facebook four years later. I didn't accept. Bonus story. People in my hometown used to rave about uh, Jim and Bessie's barbecue until Jim and Bessie had a very messy divorce and split mm. the business. He opened Jim's barbecue in a new location and she literally scratched his name off the menus with Sharpie to make it Jim and crossed off Bessie's barbecue. Oh I never hear anything about Jim anymore, but Bessie's is all right, and she owns an upscale steakhouse that makes bank. Good for her, I guess. Good for her, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I love the closing down your business like a thief in the night. That, yeah, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> God, incredible. Um, all right, uh, I, I I found the original. I found the original email I was going to read. We got a few. I don't know if you remember this, Rob, but I but I raised uh, briefly in in conversation the inclusion of uh, 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 Sautru, the 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 name that is used in CK three for a set of Norse pagan religions, or, or, or yeah. in this case, uh, we got a bunch of emails in from a bunch of different people, and there are two I want to read that that give a perspective from folks who have uh, kind of firsthand, more firsthand uh, perspective than us uh, that I think are really interesting. All right, so first it's from Morgan. Borkin says, I was super interested by your discuss your discussion of Assault True in uh, Crusader Kings 3, episode 345. I'm of that religion myself, so I thought I might provide some context if that's okay. Sorry in advance for the long email. Uh, all Saw True, pronounced all saw true, uh, absolutely doesn't make sense as a term for the pre-Christian faith of Scandinavia at the time of Crusader Kings 3. The problem is we don't really know what that religion was called at the time. There's a decent chance uh, that there wasn't really a word for it, and post-Christianization, -Christi writers generally called the old or pagan religion. It was also a very decentralized faith in uh, that in some cases was almost unrecognizable from one place to another, so there's a lot of argument uh, in Viking studies as to whether it makes sense to call it one religion historically. Historically, Asatru in the modern day is a complicated word, especially because of the white because of the white supremacists who have adopted it. The term, which means faith in the Aesir, is primary uh, the primary but absolutely not the only group of gods that are worshipped. Used to be the standard umbrella term for all Nordic paganism, but that's definitely less the case these days. At least in part because uh, people understandably don't want to be associated with racists. There's a notorious racist group calling the called the Asatru Folk Assembly who have done a lot of work to just sort of ruin everything they touch, and that has poisoned it for a lot of people. A lot of the anti-racist Norse pagan organizations use the term heathenism or just Norse paganism, but there's basically always a fight about which term to use. 
Odinist might as well be synonymous with white supremacist at this point. It's a huge red flag. Uh, moderate slash mainstream heathen groups absolutely haven't done enough to deal with the white supremacy problem in their faith. And while things are starting to change, it's taking longer than it should. And there's a lot of rot to burn out. Many heathen, heathens, including me, don't really associate with any of the big organizations anymore because of their hand-waving about racism and oppression. The work continues. Thanks, as always, for the fantastic podcast and for continued reporting on some truly incredible Crusader Kings shenanigans. Moose. Uh, thank you to Moose uh, for that one. Um, and then there's a there's a follow up here which took me by surprise. This one comes in from Petter, who says, "Hi, I was one of the developers on Crusader Kings three, and I wanted to comment <laughs> on the discussion about the name Osatru for uh, the Old Norse religion. The European pagan religions are unlikely to ever have had any centrally organized religion uh, or, or institutions, so that's the way they're represented in the game. So, so the way they're represented in the game is fairly ahistorical." To be closer to reality, uh, it sh should probably have come from a slightly different faith for every village, for different values and traditions. Uh, that has been flattened to accommodate gameplay with a religion system that also needs to support different types of beliefs across huge swaths of Eurasia and Africa. Osaltru was a term that in our eyes passed the, has this been inextricably poisoned by racist test, but a lot of names for many of the, of the European pagan faiths did not. With little really being known about the actual historical religious practices of pre-Christian Scandinavia, it's unfortunately easy for nativists or non-Scandinavians who like Viking aesthetics and racism to claim that it somehow represents the view their views. Thankfully, it also makes it easy to point out all the instances of stuff Nazis typically dislike, such as gender fluidity or divine race mixing, and tell them they clearly haven't actually read the few sources that we do have. They're not believers, they're just racist cosplayers with a fetish for largely imaginary warrior culture. Anyway, this whole email is a setup to let any Nazis out there know that I hope the lesson you take from CK3 is that you're wasting your time hating eth other ethnic groups. You should be hating the ruling class instead. Uh, P.S. Since leaving CK3, I've been working on a number of other exciting things, such as Tony Hawk's Pro Crusaders 1 and 2. So, that, I didn't, of course the person who made the Tony Hawk Pro, Pro Skater Crusader Kings mod is a former Crusader Kings dev. Oh, um, fuck. Also, a quick update, uh, Skate Trilineal Succession is in that mod now. Uh, Hell you can, yeah. You can become a skate legend Sorry, to enable. Skate Trilineal? Yeah. Oh, did you miss this? Yeah, they. Yeah, there was an like early request from a fan of this mod that was like, uh, would it be possible to add Skate Trilineal Succession to the throne so that it passes uh, to the best skater in your dynasty, to which to which the mod creator, who I guess is 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 uh, Petter, said, uh, I'll have to take it into serious consideration. At least I want to make sure it remains strictly historical. So it would be a massive oversight to omit Skate Trilineal. <laughs> It's so good to me. Um, so thank you to everyone else. Again, there were like four other emails. They all basically said the same thing. Uh, one from William had this incredible note that I that I will also add. Um, uh, death to capitalism, imperialism, the patriarchy, and fucking Nazis. No, th that also I agree with. But William said, having grown up spending a lot of time in the northern Swedish countryside and hearing about uh, trolls living in the woods, it equally amuses and annoys me to no end that the more interesting folkloric beliefs that survived through the centuries didn't uh, uh, and didn't need to be revived, like in trolls and the tomtar, which are like these like 
I guess, gnomes-type creatures. And fairies basically get no attention from these pagans, uh, in my experience, especially the racist ones. I guess they aren't as cool as high-powered gods and stuff. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. If I were to become a pagan, I feel like there's so much out there besides just, like, the big gods. Talk to me (laughs) about your cool fairies. Talk to me about your, your your weird gnomes. The Tomtar are apparently also called the Nissa or the, the the Nessa, I guess. I don't know. I'm on Wikipedia. I'm reading about these gnomes. William's good on this. Uh, the William, William, I think, wrote a really good piece that I've cited a bunch uh, about Kingdom Come. Uh, oh, interesting. RPS, uh, basically, like, unpacking exactly why that approach of, to historicity is really dubious and, like, how selective you have to be to create this uh, like fictional setting that, that they've done. Uh, so yeah, William Williams, a, a good correspondent when it comes to uh, that, that field, I like to call medieval shit and adjacent. <laughs> <laughs> Shout outs. All right. On that note, uh, we should wrap this one up. Thanks for joining us for this, this long uh, uh, talk about a billion different things today. This long, very tired discussion. Uh, <laughs> we will be back not this Monday, but again, this coming uh, Friday for, for oh, you know, a week, a week from today uh, for our next episode. Um, thank you to Bowen for letting us use the track Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Find out more about that at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. Rob, where can people find you on the internet? At Rob Zachney. Kato. At A underscore Kato underscore appears. Find me at Austin underscore Walker. You can find everything we do at twitter.com slash waypoint. And I, I guess I should say, uh, Kato, the archives of SavePoint are already starting to go up to some degree, right? Yeah. Um, we've got McKay, who guested last year. Shout out to McKay. Uh, shout out to McKay. Doing, I just gave uh, McKay the peace symbol. McKay can't see that. <laughs> but, McKay yeah. will now hear it. Um, the Doing uh, highlight edits like he did for uh 2019 and also just straight transferring the vods over and the first vod is already up which was the ps5 segment uh where we did the live reveal to that uh there should be essentially a vod transferred over per day just like until we we're through all the vods at this point amazing um, uh, i see you yeah, here so top 10 spelunky up. betrayals is up today yeah not the whole i don't think that's the whole no but an entire segment will go up later today okay of good one of the i don't know i'm not sure which one we're putting up next but one of the vod one of the staff segments <laughs> will go up per day for the next until we get through them basically perfect yeah, yeah. so look forward to that great. um i'm happy we're getting those up pretty quick this year that, that it was such a blast save point was so good obviously i wasn't on the monday show so just like just a quick debrief thanks to everyone who who you know came through and hung out i hope people really enjoy the the vods and i think we're going to leave the donation up uh link up for yeah. uh, at least until the the archives all come out uh because i know you know sometimes in those archives we go hey can you go here and and donate and in the time since finishing that stream where we were ended at like 144,000 we're up to 147,688.99 savepoint.stream is the URL, if you want to go uh, donate and you didn't get a chance to before, um, I you know what? I would love to hit 150,000. I know the marathon is over. I'm still grinding out here. <laughs> yeah. I want to give Come them on, a check. This is $150,000 on it. That's that's big. That's you know what's $147,688.99 isn't cool. You know what's cool? Uh, $150,000. <laughs> that's how that line went, right? Yeah, that's how that goes. That's exactly what it meant. Yep. That's just what it meant. <laughs> 
Uh, you know what's cool? A slightly larger amount. <laughs> Just a little bit more money. A round number. That's what he meant. He meant like, you gotta round it off. Um, <laughs> that's the Sorkin dialogue we all know and love. Uh, all right. <laughs> On that note, uh, as we always say at this time, fuck capitalism. Gotta get to Nashua. What? <laughs> what? That's what we say. <laughs> Go home! You know, like we always say. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. I do not like it. I do not like the mask. Certainly such a thing should be understood as a a high quality object. What am I? Even though, even though it carries a symbol of the devil and the cuckold, what? It's probably the pr- unintentional, probably. Wait, are the horns like intentionally like echoing is, both cuckold and devil horns? Or? That's what it would have meant at the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Honestly, the hype I have nothing on this guy. You show up to a party at Maximilian's, it's just him and his wife there, and he busts out that helmet. What if this be looked like that? I thought about that today <laughs> when I saw that. Janine is who sent this to me. So <laughs> okay, of course. Right. Art, or, uh, uh, wow, I say Art Rob. Uh, Janine plays a character named Thisbe, who's a big robot who has like ram horns, sort of similar in description to these. Uh, <laughs> Just the grimace. It's so funny. Also, <laughs> it's it's understood that the little there was a little like vertical chunk coming out of the bottom of the nose that is apparently like intentionally snot supposed to be <laughs> snot oh my so. god what the hell just okay but we gotta somebody's gotta make a fan edit of kingdom of heaven where everyone oh, yeah, yeah, we're, 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 we're <laughs> that love it this seems this feels like it was meant to humiliate someone Agreed. And that's my thought. <laughs> that's honestly my thought is that like, I mean, I'm not an expert. I would bet <laughs> that other people had that thought first. Comma. But. <laughs> this, is, this is a Habsburg Maximilian, right? I, it must be, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm, mm. Oh, it's Henry VIII. It's Henry VIII. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. So it's actually not. So it's actually... Uh, oh, yeah, people hated that dude. 
Right, so that's yeah. the thing, right? It's it's that's definitely a fuck you. That's what I would think. The horned helmet of Henry the Eighth. Hey man, got you this wedding gift for you and Anne. Uh <laughs> 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 Hillary, Hillary Mantle, you got to write a fourth book. <laughs> Cromwell's Revenge. <laughs> Dear Henry, since you took my head, I thought I'd give you one. <laughs> I thought I'd give you give you one of your own. Yeah, befitting your stature. Yeah. Oh, and that is the website. Mm-hmm. Got as far as time and hit enter. Close enough. Okay. Isn't it nice to think that tomorrow is a new day with no mistakes in it yet? Is that you or you yet. reading something? I'm reading. I'm reading the today's quote. What? That's Lucy a depressing Mom. ass quote. <laughs> what the fuck time that is? Yet. <laughs> yet. Uh, the author of Anne of Green Gables. Those are depressing ass books. <laughs> Lately, I've been thinking about some of the bizarre subplots that unfold in the Disney show Avonlea. I've not seen Avonlea. You ever, so, you ever read or watch Anne of Green Gables and wonder? I wonder what the whole story is about that town on that island. Ah, uh, wow. I see. Now, av- through Avonlea, you can explore the rich backstory of Avonlea. <laughs> Is this based on like additional novels, or is this just? I no, I don't think so. I think <laughs> yeah, I think it's basically fanfic. Which um, again, you know, I have no problem with fanfic, but I do think it's. I, I'm curious to what degree this is someone coming into this this IP and going, "Aha, I know what is happening." 